Well, my friends, if you didn't know it already, this week proves it. A lot can happen in a week. Welcome to episode 13 of Podcast Royal. We have a lot to talk about. So Mm -hmm. Jessica, how in the world are you on this? Today is Tuesday, the 23rd. Yes, I am doing well. How are you, Rachel? I'm good. It's already been a week. It's been a heck of a week for the family. We have so much to discuss. We're going to do things a little differently today, listeners. Because of the significance and gravity of the news events of the last week, we won't be doing a lifestyle segment that almost just felt reductive. And we won't even be doing a formal formal royal rundown that also didn't feel right. There are three news items we are going to discuss and we're going to share the facts about them and then our opinions. So there is so much to unpack. I feel like we should take a collective like deep breath in, (laughs) deep breath out. So we recorded episode 12 on Tuesday, February 16th. The next day, we learned Prince Philip had been admitted into the hospital in London as a precautionary measure and that he walked into the hospital on his own accord. He checked in after feeling unwell, and we have heard that it is not COVID-related nor an emergency hospitalization, but at 99, any hospitalization is a cause for concern. I actually just learned this today on February 23rd that Philip was hospitalized for an infection. So I don't know what kind of infection, but that is apparently what he was hospitalized for. His son, Edward, the youngest, says Philip is looking forward to coming home, but these are my words now, it doesn't look like it will be for a good little while. So he was hospitalized on Wednesday. On Saturday, his eldest son, Prince Charles, paid a 30-minute visit driving in from his country home, Highgrove, which is roughly two hours away to see his father. This would normally not be a big deal, but because of COVID, hospitals in the UK have very strict visitor policies right now, usually only allowing visitors if the patient is especially critical or at end of life. So Saturday was a very tough day because rampant rumors were swirling everywhere over the weekend that Philip was at the end of his life, that he wasn't going to make it through the night on Saturday. I had the news on waiting for that awful breaking news bulletin that he had passed away. But on Monday, while at his first in-person engagement of 2021, Prince William told spectators that Philip was quote unquote, okay. And they were keeping an eye on him. And then of course we heard from Edward that he hoped to come home. So that is good news. So as of this recording, which as I've said is Tuesday, February 23rd, Philip is still in the hospital and expects to be kept there for the foreseeable future. I will be honest with you. I was terrified over the weekend that we would lose Philip. Like I was almost certain in my gut that it would happen. Obviously did not want that to happen, but it's just, he's 99 years old. So you know, royals are not immortal. They, they're mortal, mere mortals, just like the rest of us. I see Philip and the queen a lot. Like I saw 
George H.W. Bush, Bush 41, and Barbara Bush, when one goes, I just don't feel like the other one will be that far behind. It is that much of a love story. So obviously I am certainly not writing Philip off by any means, but we do need to face the fact that he will be 100 years old in June. And of course we're wishing Philip a speedy recovery and we hope that he is home soon. So did you hear the rumors over the weekend that Philip was not doing well? I, uh, well, I heard he was in the hospital and I, you know, I was following along as, as much as I could. I didn't hear anything that, you know, they were thinking he was maybe not going to make it though. So that was actually news to me when you were just was sharing that. Um, and um, I was certainly trying to check on updates as much as I could. Um, and, and I'm hoping he does have a speedy recovery and is out of the hospital soon. I mean, it must have been cause for concern um, for him to go to the hospital during, um, you know, a time where COVID is, um, is going on as well. And probably most people, if they could, would opt to stay home. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I really do hope, um, I hope he's back home with the queen soon. Yeah, I think that everyone started going down the rabbit hole when Charles showed up. Yeah. And when people started to realize that the UK hospital protocols right now won't allow anyone, they don't care if you're the heir to the throne or a member of the royal family, anyone, to come visit unless it is an end of life or critical situation. And then of course, Charles leaves the hospital and he's in the car leaving and there's photos of him with tears in his eyes. And of course that is jarring to see. Well, and yeah. And it wasn't a short ride. I mean, he right. had to travel a ways to go visit. Right. But that's a four, roughly four hour round trip. I heard some reports said that he stayed in London that night. Um, some reports said he went right on back to, well, not home, but to his country home, Highgrove. Um, Twitter really had a field day on Saturday and I got totally sucked into that mire. And it just was a really rough day. And I was so happy to hear William say yesterday, Monday, that he was okay. I mean, I hope that that's the truth, not saying that William is being dishonest, but you know, I'm sure that even if it was really grave, we wouldn't know the full gravity of it. But I, you know, I just, I, I just keep thinking he's 99, he's 99. And, you know, I, I just, I so hope that he gets well soon because I know how much the queen depends on him, even if they're not the type of couple that would publicly you share love notes and, you know, be flowery in their language with each other, but he is her rock. Mm -hmm. And I never want to see any couple separated by death, much less them. So I'm just happy that he seems to be doing better. Yes, definitely. Any other thoughts on Prince Philip? Um, no, just hoping that, um, that he's back home soon and we're celebrating his 100th in a few months. June 10th is his 100th birthday. So we certainly pray that he will be here to see that and we are wishing him a speedy recovery.
So some happy news before we get into Harry and Meghan, which of course we're going to talk about today. Eugenie and Jack have announced the name of their baby boy. August, Philip, of course, after her grandfather, Hawk with an E on the end, Brooksbank. So August Philip Hawk Brooksbank was pictured alongside his parents on Instagram and he is adorable. And according to Eugenie, quote, he is named after his great grandfather and both of his great grandfathers. That's cute. Of course, the nod to Philip is especially poignant now. So thank God for this piece of good news in a week of rough news. Did you get to check out those photos of the baby they posted? Yes, Instagram? I, yeah, I loved it. Um, I was so happy that I saw Philip in the name um, and it was a really, um, a really good name choice. I like it and I like how it's meaningful and, and, you know, they, they picked some family names and um, it's, it's a good, strong name. I agree. So this is so random and not royal at all, but Mandy Moore had a baby today and she named him August Harrison. So I was like, okay, that's Eugenie and that's, and Harrison is Archie's middle name. So I was like, is Mandy Moore a royal fan? Because <laughs> her, uh, her name, I mean, maybe, maybe not, maybe so, I don't know, it could just be totally random, but to have one August born, what was his birthday, like two weeks ago, and now we have another celebrity baby named August, coincidence, I don't know, I don't know, but um, they, I mean, the baby is adorable, and um, I, and you called Philip, having Philip in the name, I did, but I didn't place any bets on it. So I didn't win anything. Well, I don't know if anybody, I don't, I don't think August was anywhere in the running, at least not that I remember. So anyway, congratulations to the Brooks Banks. Thank you for making a bright spot in a rough week. So the meat of the episode, Harry and Megan, we saved it for last because we're going to spend some time talking about it. So Harry and Meghan, in case you were hiding under a rock or on a different planet this past week, are officially permanently no longer working members of the royal family. So let's start with the facts. So on Friday, last Friday the 19th, Buckingham Palace released the following statement. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have confirmed to Her Majesty the Queen that they will not be returning as working members of the royal family. Following conversations with the Duke, the Queen has written confirming that in stepping away from the work of the royal family, it is not possible to continue with the responsibilities and duties that come with a life of public service. The honorary military appointments and royal patronages held by the Duke and Duchess will therefore be returned to Her Majesty before being redistributed among working members of the royal family. While all are saddened by their decision, the Duke and Duchess remain much loved members of the family. So after Harry and Meghan stepped back from their royal duties in January, 2020, they agreed to a 12 month review. And this statement is the result of that review and provides a permanent answer to the working status of the pair in the family. So what does this mean for the couple? Any military appointments or patronages with links to the royal family will be returned to the queen and redistributed amongst other family members. So that means Meghan will no longer be patron of the Association of Commonwealth Universities, the Royal National Theater, or the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. And that means that Harry will no longer have honorary appointments with the Royal Marines, the RAF Honington, 
and Royal Navy small ships in diving. He will also no longer be patron of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust, the Rugby Football Union, and the Rugby Football League. That said, the Sussexes will continue to be patrons of organizations taken on in a more personal capacity, including Animal, Animal, hello, Animal Welfare Charity, the Mayhew, and Smart Works for Megan, and the Invictus Games and Well Child for Harry. The couple will retain their titles and their HRH designation, though they have expressed in the past that they will likely not use them. The couple's patronages released an outpouring of support from them, or for them rather, upon hearing the news. A representative from Rugby Football, one of Harry's patronages that was taken away, told the Telegraph that they were, quote unquote, completely blindsided by the news and, quote, keen to keep Prince Harry. He's been fantastic, end quote. William, by the way, is supposed to take over that patronage for his brother. So, okay, this is where it gets even more interesting. First of all, right, that wasn't a surprise that they were not returning, at least not to us. We've been talking about right. this for weeks that like, how could they possibly, they've moved to another continent. They have longstanding deals now with Netflix and Spotify. They have their own foundation. I don't think anybody, if there was one listener out there that thought that they were coming back, please write to us because I know that I didn't feel like they were. Did you feel like they were? No, I don't think anyone really expected them to go back into that, um, into their previous roles. Um, but I was surprised when the news came out. I don't know that I was expecting it to come out that day when you um, and I were texting about it last week. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a surprise um, to to see it come out and and to see um, that message. But no, I didn't I didn't think that they would that they would ever go back into their working roles. I just can't imagine anybody being surprised by this. I, 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 don't, I don't see why everyone is so upset about, about them not returning because I don't think that anyone thought they would. So anyway, then the Sussexes released their own message through a spokesperson also on Friday which said the couple, quote, remain committed to their duty and service and, quote, have offered their continued support to the organizations they have represented regardless of official role. The statement concluded, and this is the most controversial part, we can all live a life of service. Service is universal, which obviously is a I, I think the term clap back is a little bit reductive, but mm -hmm. that it's obviously in direct response to the Queen's statement from Buckingham Palace. Reportedly, that response by the Sussexes rubbed William the massively wrong way. And according to sources, he found their statement, quote, insulting and disrespectful, as you simply just don't go tit for tat with the Queen in the press. You just don't do that, according to him. This kind of feels like a tennis match with the ball constantly being volleyed back and forth and back and forth. And it's kind of like we're watching it all play out in real time. And, you know, I've heard, of course, that the queen was not aware. Well, first of all, I've heard that she wasn't aware that they were stepping back in 2020 until it was international news. And I've also heard that she did not know about the Oprah interview, which we'll talk about in a second, until it was put out there by CBS. We, she learned about it at the same time 
that we did. Speaking of, last week we learned that Harry and Meghan will be doing a primetime special with their friend and neighbor Oprah Winfrey on Sunday, March 7th. CBS says that Oprah will speak with Meghan and Harry, quote, in a wide-ranging interview covering everything from stepping into life as a royal, marriage, motherhood, philanthropic work, to show how she is handling life under intense public pressure. So I've heard that the first part of the interview will feature Meghan alone, and then Harry will come into the mix. So this came out this week. Interestingly, uh, just hours before Harry and Meghan's Oprah interview airs, the Queen, Charles, William, Kate, and Sophie will be seen on TV themselves in a Commonwealth Day special on the BBC. So I want to know which one was planned first, because I don't know. And who was the one that planned that second to run on the same day? Was the timing of the Oprah interview strategically planned for the Sussexes to get the final word? This is a rhetorical question because I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, it, it seems a little odd that it would just be a coincidence that they would be at the same time. The International Women's Day is either March 7th or 8th. I think it's the 8th. So I thought before I knew that the working royals would be coming on BBC to talk about Commonwealth Day. I thought that that day was chosen because it was International Women's Day. And obviously we all know that Megan is a feminist and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just wanna know who was the one that planned the second appearance, like whether it was the BBC appearance or the CBS appearance on the same day and why, because that just whoever that was clearly had a point to prove and I don't know who got the spot for or maybe it was just a horrific coincidence but I just I I don't know if I believe that yeah I um it seems like that it wouldn't I mean somebody had to have known that that was going to be out there um, and, and scheduled it around the same time. I don't think it would be a coincidence, but I don't I, really, I, I don't know. I don't know. The BBC one will air first and then the CBS one will air later. So let me, let me finish up with the facts and then we'll kind of talk about our opinions. So Harry and Meghan are not sitting idly by. It's almost like that, that quote about service really, stung them because, and, and not saying that they wouldn't have done this without that quote, excuse me, but um, over the weekend, the Archwell Foundation donated to a shelter for domestic violence victims in Dallas, whose pipes burst and who had suffered massive power outage. And then on Monday, yesterday, we're recording this on Tuesday again, the two were seen at a Spotify event in support of their podcast, Archwell Audio, which still, to my knowledge, does not have a second episode. It's like they dropped this holiday special and then disappeared, which could very well be because of Megan's pregnancy and they wanted to stay under the radar. But why, I mean, as two people that do a podcast, why drop one episode and then disappear for two months? But I digress. So anyway, those are the facts. So other than our side commentary, you can't, like, those are the facts. So now we're going to move into our opinion. So I would love to hear you unpack this, Jessica. Well, I mean, it's so complex. It is. And, you know, back to what we 
talked about a few minutes ago, um, I I don't think any of us were surprised that this was coming. Um, I, I think I kind of anticipated it would happen um, more toward the end of March. Um, and just looking at the situation, they have been out of this role for over a year. They haven't been back to the UK in 11 months. Um, it was pretty clear that this was the direction this was taking and, and was really the right direction, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this is what they wanted. Um, and I think that they'll probably be happy that they that they've made this decision. Um, you know, but again, I was surprised by how it was announced. Um, I was I was surprised that their um, you know, Harry's military appointments and, and their patronages were um, being redistributed. Um, but I think that's the right thing as well. Um, I really do. I think um, I think the queen has handled this situation um, as well as she could. I think she's handled it with a lot of grace, and I think she's been very accommodating to them. Um, you know, you could just tell in the way that she wrote her statement that she, um, you know loves them still. I mean, you could feel the hurt in, in the statement. You know, she said, I think in her own way that their relationship extends past the crown, um, you know, but she's doing what she has to do and she still loves them and she always will. And I think it's a very, um, a very kind um, statement, even though, you know, people may interpret it differently. That was, that was kind of my take from it. It's just so complex and so hard. And I, not that anybody in my family is asking me to, but I will never ever work in a family business <laughs> because it's so like, it's just so hard. So do you want me to share my opinions? I do. Okay. I have had a difficult time wrapping my mind around this. And speaking of Philip a minute ago, you know who I thought of all day Saturday was Philip and Harry and how close they all, they, they've always been. And, you know, Harry and Megan, I mean, this is quite up for question now. Um, they've announced their engagement in November of 2017. Some people say they had gotten engaged in August of 2017, whatever. But the reason why he wanted a short engagement with Megan and they got married in May, 2018. So what is that? Six months later after it was announced is because Harry so desperately wanted his grandfather, Philip to be there. And, you know, at that time, Philip was well, like 97, 96. And so he wanted to make sure that Philip was there. And all day Saturday, I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, I pray that Philip and Harry have resolved things and that they are at peace with one another because anybody that's lost a grandparent, which I've lost all of four of mine, know that death is not, I mean, I, I believe I will see my grandparents again someday, but it's, it feels pretty permanent while I'm still here on earth. And so I just pray that this whole situation while it might have affected their, obviously their working relationship, I pray that 
their personal relationship and their family relationship. Obviously they all love each other. That's not up for question, but I just pray that they're amicable and getting along. So even though I knew, and we've talked about it on the podcast, that Harry and Meghan's January, 2020 decision was likely permanent. And because as I just said, contracts with Netflix and Spotify, there was likely no chance of them becoming working royals again. Friday just gave permanency to the entire situation. And I'm sad about it. I'm just, I'm truly sad about it. And I sat for a long time with my thoughts. I reached out to a lot of my friends. Thank you all to those that chatted about this with me that love the Royals and had opinions. I read a lot of articles on both sides of the fence and have just really thought about what I was going to say today on the podcast. So I am not a psychologist, but I want to look at some of the psychology of why everyone is so upset because the entire situation here is an emotional one. So it cannot be overstated the significance of her uncle David's 1936 abdication of the throne for love in the queen's life. For the queen, it shifted her entire destiny. It made her father king when he never desired that. And the stress of that job, quite honestly, ultimately likely killed him at an age far before he should have died in 1952. And as we've stated on the podcast before, the queen and her father were incredibly close. Not to mention that the queen would have lived a completely different life had her uncle not done what he did. So for Elizabeth, for the queen, duty is above all. And while she loves her grandson, Harry, and probably I'm sure Megan too, she sees them leaving the family as working royals as a dereliction of duty. And that to her is the ultimate betrayal. So on the other side, you have Harry, a man who as a 12 year old boy lost his mother in a violent car crash as she was chased and stalked by the paparazzi, much like the paparazzi continue to chase and stalk him and his now wife. Having, and not to mention, I still can never get over making 12-year-old Harry walk behind William at 15, walk behind their mother's casket with that little note from Harry that says mummy in front of millions of people and how scarring that must have been. So having basically no chance at ever succeeding to the throne and seeing glimpses of what happened to his mother, like the awful treatment by the British press happened to his wife, Harry wasn't going to let history repeat itself. And I read somewhere this past weekend that leaving the family as working royals was always Harry's wish, even before he met Meghan. She was just the catalyst that not only affirmed the decision, but also likely told him that it was okay to do not only to survive, do what you have to do to not only survive in this life, but thrive. And I think she said some version of that in the ITV interview from South Africa with Tom Bradby. And especially after Archie was born, this was cemented. Harry felt he had to do what he always wanted to do, which also had the added benefit of hopefully protecting his family. So who's right here? And the trouble is that no one is right. No one is wrong. The queen has her valid points and Harry has his, and they will forever be at an impasse on this. The way that this is being handled is emotional, which is 
kind of somewhat a foreign concept to the family. So since the working component of Harry and Meghan's royal life is done, as I just said, I can only hope that their royal life by blood is mended, especially with Philip in the hospital, the queen turning 95 this year. While everyone's feelings are hurt, I hope the family can come together and make amends before it's too late because as the queen and Harry know all too well, death has a permanency that is that is just really hard to shake. So, you know, as I kind of wrap up my soapbox diatribe here, here's some things that have really been bothering me. Why is the British press so, so awful to Megan? I mentioned this last week. I mean, they just, the vial that they spew is just, it, it's, it's ridiculous, honestly. And why is no one other than Harry standing up for her? I mean, all it would take maybe to mend some fences is just one member of the family taking Megan's side publicly. And why do they blame the press, blame Megan for everything? Like, why is she their scapegoat? And these are all rhetorical questions, but these are, these are things that really bother me. And this really bothers me. Why was Andrew, who is an accused rapist, allowed to keep his military titles, but Harry lost his? That jars me and bothers me to no end. This entire situation, it just makes me so sad. No one wins. And I can only hope going forward that everyone can find peace, that we can all accept that it is what it is. And remember that as a friend of mine said, even though they are all royals, they are also people too. So, whew, okay, that feels good to get off my chest. So what else do you have to say on the matter? Well, um, so I've got a couple of things. I, I, I thought it would be kind of interesting to look at some other members of the royal family who've had to step back from their roles for whatever reason. Um, and then, um, you know, just we can talk through other members of the family who are non-working royals um, and what that looks like for comparison. Um, but I do want to hit on, you know, the press and their criticism of Meghan. Um, there are other royals throughout Europe who have endured this type of criticism before. I think the reason it feels like it's so so big with Meghan is because, you know, one, she married into one of the most famous royal families in the world. Um, and two, we have social media so much more accessible today than before, and things just seem to get in front of people's eyes at such a faster That's pace. a really good point. Um, but, you know, I, I was looking at, at some other scenarios where, where people have been criticized, um, you know, in royal families. And um, Princess Sophia of Sweden, who we've talked about on the podcast before, um, she was actually a model and reality television star before her relationship with Prince Carl Philip. Um, and I think she had in her modeling career done some nude photos and, and the reality show she was on was called Paradise Hotel and it was where a lot of singles were together in this hotel and um, so when she got with him you can imagine the kind of criticism that she experienced um, and she actually was interviewed recently and was asked about that and she said you know her response to the media um, you know really bullying her was um, to just buckle down and serve her country as well as she could. 
Um, and we've seen that she's done that. I mean, even this last year, she was in hospitals with the COVID-19 pandemic, helping um, to volunteer there. And that was really kind of her response to that. And then um, we also know the Duchess of Cambridge. Um, I mean, for years, she was called Weighty Katie, um, you know, because she was um, waiting for Prince William to pop the question. Um, so, you know, we've got Megan over here who is Duchess Difficult and, and Kate who is Weighty Katie. Um, and, and, you know, the press made jokes about her for that, but we know the joke was on them because their love has proven to be the real thing. Um, and then she also, right after they got married, um, you might remember the French magazine Closer. Um, I do remember this. photos of her when she was mm -hmm. stunning um, on, on a vacation with just, you know, her and Prince William. And um, they actually ended up being awarded, I think it was 92,000 um, pounds after those photos were published. So I think you know the difference is though that Harry and Meghan can get away from it, right? Like the, he's the spare. They, mm -hmm. I mean, they're, I don't think anybody really expected this before January, 2020, but William and Kate, they can't leave, like they're locked in. And so, you know, their, their, you know, their life is tightly shut and locked and Harry and Meghan, there was a crack in the door and they kicked the door down mm -hmm. and maybe that's a point of contention. You know, I don't know it, you know, it's happening and like you said, you know, Prince William and, and Kate really, you know, they're locked in and they've got to deal with it. But um, I do think social media today is really amplifying this type of, of thing and it's making it that much worse. You know, I just thought of this. Do the British press ever get all over the men in the family like they do the women because they've done it to Kate. You're right. They do it to Megan. They did it to Diana. They've um, barraged Fergie. They've been awful to Camilla. I mean, they, the queen is the only one that I can't, and maybe Sophie and, and I don't know, but they just, they're so awful. Well, I think the, the press is going to, I mean, they're motivated by money and, and they care about what makes money. And so they're going to go after the people that the public are most interested in. And, you know, as we know, the public tends to be more interested in um, the work of the duchesses and the princesses. And, um, and I feel like, you know, maybe it's, women seem to follow the royal family more too. Um, and, and so it's, it's gonna make them more money to go after the women. I just hate that we live in a society where the papers are so brutal because that's what sells them. Um, that's a whole other episode for a whole other day. It's just, I don't know. It's just, the bottom line for me is it comes down to, are you living the best life you can? And like I said, Harry and Meghan saw the crack in the door and they bulldozed the door down. And who, I guess, who can fault them for, for chasing happiness? But, you know. Yeah, well, and I think that's, you know, that's the point that we really need to make here is, you know, a lot of people I think are, are seeing this as, um, I don't know. I mean, I kind of feel like people are, are seeing it as, Harry and Meghan shouldn't have this happen to them, but but I think it's what they want, and and I think it's 
Prince Harry is the son of the future king, but he is far enough down in the line of succession that he does not have to live that life if he does not want to. Yeah, he's not going to, I mean, barring catastrophe, he's never going to be king. It's, it's not so, going to happen. Yeah, and I do want to, I want to get into this later, but I think some of the controversy here too is, is really just um, how you, how you make a decision between um, being in this, you know, public service role um, and living a private life and, and kind of where you draw the line there. But uh, before we dive into that, um, I'm going to just talk about a couple of other royals. So as we've mentioned, King Edward VIII, you know, we, he abdicated the throne in 1936 to marry American actress and divorcee Wallace Simpson. You know, this was, you have to think, like, I feel like a lot of people think that this Prince Harry um, and Meghan situation is like the first time something like this has happened and there's never been anything that's big. But I have to imagine this was a huge deal back then. Oh, it was, um, you know, huge. Royals couldn't marry someone who was divorced. Um, and I can imagine the controversy that stirred up and, and how the British public may have felt incredibly uncertain about the future with the monarchy of their king, um, you know, with him abdicating that the monarchy probably was um unstable maybe to to the public maybe they were afraid of of what the future looks like um and so you know they have changed that rule since and it was queen elizabeth who gave her blessing to prince charles and camilla and um, as well as prince harry and Meghan when when they decided to get married and and ultimately King Edward really, you know, his decision changed the course of history and, and um, really set the stage for Queen Elizabeth to, to reign. So well, can we imagine life without her as our monarch? You know, like I know that it must have been devastating at the time to lose him, but look at what it gave us, you know, like it might be painful in the interim to lose Harry and Meghan as working royals, but potentially it could give not only them a chance to shine in a different way, but other working members of the family to step into their place and shine, whereas they might not ever have had the chance to do that before. So just, I think we just need to realize that it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a good point. And then I think, you know, again, this goes back to people are, um, maybe upset or or concerned about um where you draw the line when it comes to uh, being associated with the royal family and then also being involved in hollywood um in other business ventures which we can get into that in a second but um a couple other royals you know princess diana actually lost her hrh status after she and prince charles divorced and i don't know if a lot of people realize that um she did keep her title princess of wales um but one one thing that i, I thought was really sweet um prince william said when he was a child that when he became king he would return the hrh title to his mother um which i thought really shows how close their relationship must have been um, but again, you know, clearly her loss of the HRH um, really didn't change the public's love of her. And to this day, she is still considered as much of a royal as someone who was born into the family. So Can I tell you uh, a controversial thought I have on Diana losing her HRH and why I'm totally positive this is why Harry and Meghan did not lose their HRH. What is that? 
Okay, so Diana lost her HRH in August of 1996 when she and Charles' divorce was finalized. And so with the loss of that HRH also meant the loss of the security detail that is provided to all HRHs, okay? If she would have had that security detail, she certainly would not have been behind it, like in a car driven by some random person mm -hmm. from the Ritz in Paris, Henri Paul, who was drunk. And that is why she died is because of a drunk driving accident at the end of the day and being chased by paparazzi as well. And so I've heard, and I don't disagree that if Diana had not been stripped of her HRH title, she would have had proper security detail and I mean, who am I to say that, you know, something else couldn't have happened? I can't say that, but she likely would not have been in the situation she was in, in that tunnel in Paris on August 31st, 1987, that cost her her life. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. And, and I think the family is very aware of that. Yeah. And so that is why you will never see. I don't think the queen or anybody else take away Megan and Harry's HRH. Now, whether they choose to use them, they've made it pretty clear that they're not using it. So, but it's, it's not gone. So I've had a lot of questions come in. Did they lose their titles? No, they are still HRH, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Are they going to be referred to in that manner by their choice? Probably not. They, I, they've said many times they just want to be called Harry and Megan. Right. Um, Okay, and yeah, and the, and the other person we've also talked about is Prince Andrew. You know, everybody knows he announced in 2019 he'd be stepping back from his royal duties after, uh, you know, some sexual abuse allegations had started to shed bad light on the family. And um, I think, you know, he's stayed pretty far under the radar ever since then. We haven't seen him in family photos like Princess Beatrice's wedding um, or, you know, Princess Eugenie's baby photos. He wasn't around in any of those. So, um, that's another royal, you know, in, in all of these, whether they were by choice or more by force, they had to step back. Um, so I just wanted to note that, that this is not the first time something like this has happened. Um, this is a little bit different situation, um, I, I think, for, for a couple of reasons that we can talk about in just a second. But um, also, you know, with everyone talking about this, um, you know, should they lose their Duke and Duchess, um, you know, uh, titles and, and what's going to happen there. Um, I just wanted to take a second to talk about these titles. So um, Britain ha has a peerage system and it's got the five ranks of nobility. Um, some are hereditary in, in that they are bestowed upon someone at birth. Others can be given um, by the government later on in life. Um, and they're all ranked and, and being a part of the peerage means that you can vote in the House of Lords. So if you are not a royal or you don't have a peerage title, then you are considered a commoner. Um, and so we'll look at these five titles real quick. So the highest and most important title is Duke. Um, the title Duke is very limited. I think there are actually only 24 Dukes today. Um, and typically it's bestowed upon the recipient when they get married. So, you know, William became the Duke of Cambridge when he married Kate Middleton. Harry was given the Duke of Sussex um, title when he married Meghan Markle. Um, one exception of this is actually Prince Charles, who was given the Duke of Cornwall title at the age of four. Um, so looking at um, 
the titles Prince and, and Duke side by side. Prince is something that someone is born with. Um, it is like you are born into royal blood. You are a prince at birth. So Prince Harry will always be Prince Harry. That will not be taken from him. That's his birthright. Um, now, you don't have to be a prince to be a duke. You, you can be given that title, um, even though you are not, um, I guess, a, a prince by birth. Um, and also when a duke marries, his wife becomes a duchess. Prin oh, uh, one other exception on the prince title is um, someone can be given the title prince if they are married to the queen, like Prince Philip and Queen mm. Elizabeth. Um, additionally, a prince does not have to necessarily be given the Duke title um, when he gets married. So one example of this is Prince Edward is the Earl of Wessex, and that is by his choice. But one day he will inherit the title Duke of Edinburgh from his father. And when he does, he will still keep his Earl of Wessex title as well. Mm -hmm. um, so just run down the others real quick. Um, the next is a Marquess. The wife of a Marquess is called a, uh, I think it's Marchioness is, is what the wife is referred to. Mm. And, um, and you would address them as Lord or Lady. So following Mar Marquess is the Earl title. Um, and an Earl's wife is Countess, like Sophie Countess of Wessex. Um, and then next is Viscount. Um, the wife of a Viscount is a Viscountess. You mean um, not a Viscount? I'll never let myself <laughs> forgive that. I'll never forgive that. Well, we've both done that, but we know now. So um, yeah, and then they are um, called Lord and Lady. And then the last in the rank is Baron and a wife of a Baron is a Baroness. Um, and you would also refer to a Baron as Lord when greeting him. Um, and then the queen cannot be given a title in the peerage system. So she is, um, she is queen, which is the ultimate title for sure. Um, so all of this to say, um, you know, Harry's not going to lose his, his title of prince. Um, he will remain in the line of succession, just like Princess Eugenie and Princess Beatrice, um, and, you know, and, and others of his cousins. Um, the HRH Duke of Sussex title was given to him, you know, at his wedding by the queen. Um, and I, like Rachel just said, I don't think she intends to revoke this title. Um, I don't know. No way. What now? It's not going to happen. It would have happened already. Yeah, I think it would have happened with this announcement if it was going to. And, and I was going to say on that note, I don't really know all the rules and details about having that revoked. Um, I'm sure she has the ability to do that if she chooses to. Um, but given Prince Andrew still has his title, Duke of York, um, I don't think she's going to remove Harry's title. So. I'm 99.99999% sure that the title situation will never change. It's, it's there. She's not going to take it away. Right. Yeah. I think something major would have to happen um, for, for that. She stripped Diana and she stripped Fergie too, for that matter. But those two were not her blood. That was not her grandson, Harry that he's, and, and you can't take, you can't take Megan's for example, without taking Harry's too. And she's never going to do that. Right. So, okay, so let's look real quick at non-working members of the royal family. Um, 
you know, I, I kind of wonder if we'll start to see this continued trend among royals across Europe to kind of keep the working members to a small direct group right in line to the throne. Um, I think we mentioned in one of our previous episodes, um, the Swedish royal family recently narrowed down their working royals to not include the grandchildren of King Carl Gustav. Um, and, and it's only a select few members in line to the throne who can carry out duties on his behalf. And, and now we have the British royal family it looks like they're kind of slimming down their working royals with Harry and Meghan now stepping back. Um, and, you know, and, and grandchildren choosing to forgo giving royal titles to their children. Um, so um, a couple of members of the royal family who are non-working royals. Um, one is Zara Tyndall. Um, she does not have an official royal title. Um, and with her not being a working royal, this has allowed her the freedom to pursue her own career aspirations and take on partnerships with brands like Land Rover and Rolex. Um, and I'm sure both of those pay very well. Um, and her brother, Peter Phillips, um, he also does not have a royal title. Um, he is not a working royal. He's had a thriving career. He married a non-royal Canadian um, and he has owned a sports management company since 2012. So he's living a, a pretty normal life um, given his, you know, the family he was born into. And then neither Princess Beatrice nor Princess Eugenie are working royals. Um, Princess Eugenie works for an art gallery in London and Princess Beatrice works for an American company called Affinity. Um, both sisters have several patronages that they've taken on in, in a personal capacity that they care about, um, but it's not in service to the monarchy. Um, and they do not carry out duties on behalf of Her Majesty. Um, and they also don't have profiles on the British royal family's website. Um, Prince Harry and, and Meghan still have profiles on the website, so I don't know if those will come down at some point or not, but um, Princess Eugenie and Beatrice do not. Interesting. So I just wanted to say all that because I do feel like uh, people maybe think Harry and Meghan have give, been given a bad deal or they were treated unfairly. Um, and I really don't think any members of the family have the freedom to kind of, you know, make up their own rules or, or you know, kind of straddle the line between um, working royal and, and taking on their own ventures. It seems like there's a pretty clear line here. So I don't know, to me, that just further shows what the queen was doing there and, and kind of helps me understand the direction that she was taken. Because like you said, Rachel, I, you know, she is service and duty first. And I do feel like she, um, couldn't, I mean, she had to draw the line there and she couldn't, in those rules maybe, yeah. or, I mean, I, I'm sure she could have, if she wanted to, but given, you know, looking back at traditions and what's happened in the past, I think that kind of helps us understand why she did what she did. No, I, I appreciate that. And this is an impossible situation, right? Like certainly, un, you know, I mean, unprecedented in this way. And I think everybody did the best they could with this impossible situation, is it still messy? Yeah, it is because there's, it's family and family is messy. Family is love, but family is messy. And I just, again, like it, we, bottom line listeners, it happened, okay? It is what it is. We have to accept 
the decision on all parties, on all sides. And I think we all just need to hope that they can repair while their professional relationships might be finished, that their personal relationships will be stronger than ever someday, I, I hope. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing here is, you know, I think in her statement, Queen Elizabeth was saying, family goes beyond the monarchy. And you guys have made this choice and I have to adhere to, you know, rules and, and draw some sort of line here. Um, but ultimately, regardless of this situation, I'm going to love you. You're still a part of this family. Um, and, and she didn't have to, you know, put anything personal in her statement and she chose to, and that just shows, um, you know, how much she does care for Prince Harry and their family. She deeply does. Harry is one of the closest grandchildren to Philip and the queen. And this happening on Friday, and then me spending most of Saturday thinking we were going to lose Philip just has me thinking about how important family is and how short life really is and how I want Harry and Meghan to be happy. I mean, my gosh, I, I do. But I also just want them to all be at peace with one another. Did you have any thoughts on um, Harry and Meghan's statement um, regarding the controversial line service is universal? And um, did you have any takeaways from that or, um, or strong feelings about that? I wasn't as offended by it as others were maybe, but obviously the queen's statement about service in her statement must have struck a nerve with mm -hmm. the Sussexes enough for them to make such a resounding statement back like that. We mm -hmm. are seeing the Sussexes make more statements in response to other statements. I think when, what, what was it a couple weeks ago, their publicist came back, or I don't know if it was their publicist or their, their spoke, whoever it was on their team, came back at a media report in pretty strong fashion. Mm -hmm. And so they're clearly just not laying down and not speaking anymore. I think if I were a betting woman, I'd say that the way the queen worded, because service obviously is extremely important to both Harry and Meghan. Mm -hmm. And I think something must have triggered an emotional response in them. And do I think that it was meant to be cutting or, you know, demeaning to the queen? I don't. But I also think that they were standing up for themselves and making their point very clear that you don't have to be a member of the royal family to serve. And then they turned right around after that and donated to the shelter in Dallas. And so I think that was like the exclamation point at the end of the sentence, like, see, you don't have to be a working royal to make a difference. Yeah, I was surprised by their response. Um, I, 
my takeaway from it is I think Her Majesty's definition of service in that in that way is very different than what Harry and Meghan were referring to when they said service is universal. So, I mean, to me, it's it's I see it as, of course, we should all be service minded and serve others in all aspects of life. Um, but that's different than dedicating your life to public service as a full time job. Um, you know, and, and that I think is what Queen Elizabeth was getting to is that it really requires someone to fully commit themselves to the day in and day out obligations of, um, of focusing on 100% on, on your patronages and, and the ways that you're serving your country. And I think she understands in her many, many, you know, years of reigning on the throne um, that it is difficult to have um, other career ventures while also being a full-time public servant, um, especially when you're across, you know, the ocean and another continent. Um, and, and I think that's what she was trying to get at. I don't, I do not think that she was saying that they couldn't you know, serve in any capacity. Um, and, and I do see how maybe that did strike a chord with them because they are so passionate about service. And I think they were wanting to um, make that distinction that they, of course, still plan to serve um, in, in their own way. Uh, but I just think that it's, um, I think it's, it's a different kind of service than what the queen was um, referring to. Yeah. yeah. I also wanted to point out, you know, at some point, I think they said last year, whenever it was that they were going to carve out a progressive new role within the royal family. And I think maybe Queen Elizabeth was saying, no, you can't do that. Um, and, and maybe that's, you know, where she was trying to draw some lines there. And I'm going to give a shout out to an Instagram uh, royal blogger right now. If any of our listeners don't follow her, um, there is an account called From Berkshire to Buckingham. I love her. She's great. I thoroughly enjoy her commentary on the royal family and, and her opinions and her um, interpretation of, of what's going on. So definitely go give her a follow if, if you don't already. Um, but she described this. Uh, it's been gosh, I guess over a year now. And I loved the way that she put this and I've seen other people describe it this way. But um, when you're looking at, you know, how do you carve out a progressive role and, and what does that mean? And, and why is the queen drawing this line here and saying you, you can't do this? The way that she described it was to think of the royal family as um, like a brand or, or a company. And when you go to work for the royal family, it's like you're working at a job and, and a, a company that employs you. So you're working on behalf of this company and, and what you do is a reflection of their brand. Um, you know, you are an employee and a representative of the brand. And should you ever choose to leave and go work for another company, you no longer are able to have access to your previous employer's assets and branding materials to use at your will. Um, so that's a right that you get under employment, but once you leave, you, um, you can't use the company's protected materials. And um, I thought that was an interesting way of describing it um, and kind of helping me. Yeah, it, it really helped me understand um, what it really means to be in an official working role for the royal family and, and how it's, 
really impossible to um, create a hybrid sort of role there. Um, and so I don't know, I don't know, do you have thoughts on that or, or any takeaways there? It's an interesting point and I don't disagree with it. And you know what? There is no, again, no right or wrong answer here. It's, it's duty versus happiness. Right. Yeah. And, and I think there are a lot of people um, in the UK who are very, um, very loyal to the monarchy and they sure. love Queen Elizabeth. And sure. um, so there's a lot of strong opinions there. Um, you know, and then we have a lot of Americans who also love following the royal family, um, you know, but they also love Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and um, they have opinions there. So I think it's interesting to kind of um, try to look at both sides of this. I just pray for, I mean, I feel like I'm a broken record. I pray for peace and happiness for all. And I know we will discuss this on future episodes. How could we not? But I feel like we've about beaten this horse to death tonight. <laughs> yes, we've talked every angle of this story. Um, and I agree. I, I want, you know, I want the um, Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle to to have a, a bright future for their family and, um, and, and find happiness. And we certainly hope that um, everyone in the royal family um, remembers that, that your family bond goes far beyond um, mm -hmm. the crown. At the end of the day, family's all that matters. And so whether you're in the royal family or not, love your family and call your grandparents if you still have them because I would do anything to be able to. And we're thinking of you, Philip. Man, it's been a royal roller coaster. We went from like the highest of highs with <laughs> Megan's pregnancy announcement to Philip's very sick. And then Harry and Megan are officially no longer working members of the family. So whew. with that, my friends, thank you for being here with us. Episode 13 in the books, so much more to come. I think 2021 is going to be a huge year. We've got lots to say about it. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our podcasts. We appreciate you listeners. We love you. And we'll be back next week with more commentary, hopefully some good news. Bye. Bye.